Well, hello there. This is Mike McDivitt, the interim pastor of the New Hope Baptist Church. It is April the 11th, the day before Easter, or how our church refers to it as Resurrection Sunday. And we're going to have a lesson on the resurrection, of course. But before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day you've given us, Lord, and I pray that you will just bless our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mark chapter 16, if you would. Verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw the stone was rolled away, for it was very great, and entered into the sepulcher. And they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. And they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth which was crucified, he is risen. He is not here, and behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And they were out, and they, excuse me, and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher For they trembled and were amazed, neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. And now when Jesus was risen, early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast the seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him, and they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive, and had been seen of her, believe not. Amazing, huh? Now, there's a lot of times we'll we'll take other parts of of, uh, the resurrection story and read those, but I really wanted to look here in Mark for a couple of reasons. Um, One being that, especially in in here, in my Bible anyway, it says about some of these were not in the two most ancient manuscripts, which they found that's not so later on. Um, in the, in the Synatic and the Vatican. Um, what we, in our church, we, we prescribed to the, what is called the Texas Receptus, not the critical text. And we were, the, 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 it's called a received text. I don't want to get real deep into that, but um, well, they leave a lot of verses out and, and different things and say that wasn't in the original. And because of that, some of the things in the resurrection, especially an order, is said to be not correct. But they do fit together. The Bible is inerrant. And so I'm just going to read how the things went down, if you would. Just to get this out of the way, um, this is something I've ran into quite a few times. And people thinking, you know, well, how could this be? And this one saw them and that one that doesn't fit together. Well, it really does. So some of the Bible notes cast doubt on Mark 
especially here in 16 verse 9 through 20, and some early versions omitted it. But when compared, comparing all four Gospels together, the sequence of events do fit. After seeing the stone was rolled away, Mary Magdalene left the two women and told the disciples of the open tomb. Meanwhile, the other two women arrived at the tomb and met the angel inside and then departed. Next, Mary Magdalene and Peter and John arrived at the tomb. Peter and John left shortly thereafter, and then Mary wept alone by the tomb, and she encountered the two angels and Jesus. You have to just kind of go on comparing Scripture with Scripture. And I just thought I'd mention that because some people get thrown off by that and in order and how things come. Sometimes uh, we just, when comparing Scripture with Scripture, the Bible sometimes, like if you get in a book of Revelation, it's not laid out in order. Or sometimes parts of the Bible, it's like um, talking to different witnesses and a jury hearing different versions, but they all saw it the same thing, just from different points of view. And so here, these all do fit together. But starting here at the resurrection, we see, uh, I thought the one thing that really strikes me is after seeing this, and they come to the tomb, and then going to tell Peter the disbelief. We're not going to get into all the, all the scriptures that deal with the resurrection. We'd be here for a while. I'm trying to hold this down to 20 minutes or so. So but the thing about it is, they were in a room praying. You know, they, 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 were, they, they, they were afraid. And then Jesus rose from the dead. Kind of reminds me when Peter was in jail, right? And they were praying. And they didn't believe it was him, thought it was a spirit. <laughs> Sometimes we do that, don't we? we? We pray, we believe, but there's some doubt or something. And, and uh, when our prayers are answered, or we see things in a clear way, we have a hard time believing what we know to be true in our hearts. But I don't know. It's, it, I guess it's just human nature, right? But after seeing this, and they run and they, and they tell them, as they were instructed, about his resurrection. Stating that first, and then seeing what order all these things fell in, let's backtrack a little bit. It's like um, I have a habit sometimes when I get a fictional book Sometimes I'll go to the end to see what how it ends, and then I'll read a book. That's kind of cheating, isn't it? But sometimes it's good to see kind of towards the end, and then we'll go back and not not read everything, but we're going to read a few verses on how this all take took excuse me place. Mark chapter fifteen. Mark chapter fifteen, and we're going to look in sixteen and read down a few verses, and it says. And the soldiers led him away, that's Jesus, into the hall called Batorium. And they call together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. And he began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him 
on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him, mocking him in other words. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon Cyrenian, a Cyrenian who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place of Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the subscription on his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. His accusation put right over top of him. The Jews didn't like that, but... but uh, Paul put it up there anyways, didn't he? And that is who he was and who he is. In fact, he is our king now also. But they crucified him. The soldiers, and the important thing, we're not going to get into all that again. We'll maybe do another lesson on that. But this was all foretold in the Old Testament. And Isaiah, if you want to read that, 53, if you want to read that, it's told about his crucifixion, which was before it was ever invented. And I'm telling you what, it was it was uh, done exactly the way God said it would happen. God is a God of order, you know. I tell you what, God does things in order. He does things on time, even though sometimes we don't agree with the time. A lot of times I have things I, I think I know how I want it done. And I know how we can get it done. And, and then I said, oh man, I better ask the Lord. I can't leave that out of the equation. But if any rate, if you want to read, the one thing is in uh, Isaiah chapter 53, it talks about this. I heard one preacher say you shouldn't read Isaiah 53 without getting on your knees. That's how sacred it was said long time before the crucifixion ever happened. But in preparation for this and up to the crucifixion, we just read and all the things that Jesus went through. Now I want you to keep in mind who Jesus is now. Sometimes when I tell people about Jesus and Christianity and, and how to be saved, the one thing that they're very surprised by, that this is the Son of God, I don't know why. It states it in the Bible. And being the son of God at any one of these stages, he could have said, I don't want to do this. Any time in here, when in, in another portion of scripture, when they said, who are you in the garden? When he said who he was, they fell to the ground. You remember that? I think that's kind of like a, a little peek into what he could have done. He could have said, I've had enough. And here they're making fun of him. They're mocking him. They've beat him. They've spat on him. They, they'll rip his, uh, his beard out. Another portion of scripture shows that. And he took it. 
You know why he took it, don't you? Because either he pays for your sin or you do. And I would rather ask him into my heart and life and forgive me of my sins and take that free payment than to pay for them on my own. Somebody's got to pay for my sin. And he loved me enough to do this. And all we have to do is ask him into our heart and life. Right? It's the purpose. This is the payment, remember. And upon his death, he goes into heaven. He puts his blood on that on that throne. That mercy seat, the real one. The one on in, in Israel was the mock-up of the real one. And instead of a lamb's blood, he is the lamb. He put his blood and paid for our sins. What a remarkable, loving God we have, don't we? And so here, he is crucified. We read about the resurrection, but we, we backed up a little bit and we saw about the crucifixion, right? And then while he's on the cross, now he's on the cross now, they put him up on that old, that old uh, rugged cross like the song says. I know my grandson talked about, um, is it like the cross we wear, Pappy? And I said, no, you wear something really pretty. Those were just two old pieces of lumber put together. And he was nailed to the cross, an old bloody cross. It wasn't something that was pretty. In fact, it was one of the most feared ways of dying in the Roman times. Because when you can't lift your diaphragm up anymore, and you're on there for an excruciating amount of time, you suffocate to death finally. And if they're merciful to you, they break your legs so that it, hap it hurt. Excuse me. It it speeds up the process. But beyond the pain, the humiliation, putting up there naked, rip, ripping his beard off, beating him, and putting him on a cross to be nailing him on the cross to go suffer an anguish and agony it's a horrible way to die the hardest thing my friend was he took our sins on his back a god that hates sin and that never has sinned took our sin on his back a remarkable thing and we look here in in verse 29 while he's on the cross skip down here a little bit and it says, and they passed by and railed on him, wagging their heads, saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. Because remember, he said that. And they didn't realize he's talking about his body. Save thyself, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking and said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, and we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why? Hast thou forsaken me? You know, 
Jesus, although being God, he was in a human body. And the first time in eternity, his father's face was away from him. It astounded him in this time. Let's skip down here to verse 36. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him the drink saying, let alone, let us see whether Elias will come and take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. That's an important scripture. He gave up the ghost. He gave his life. It wasn't taken from him. He could have stopped this at any time. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the centurions which stood over us, over, over him, excuse me, saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost. And he said, truly, this man was the son of God. Now, seeing some other, it mentions other things, the way people write it down, the way the Holy Spirit had them uh, write it down, had a little bit different points of view and different things were included. It's like if you have a uh, witness and all the witnesses in, in a trial say exactly the same thing, then you know they colluded. But when they have different points of view, but they all mesh together, ah, man, they're telling the truth. And here, Although not mentioning some things and other other uh, gospels say some of the other things, it puts the whole story together like a puzzle. Matthew is Jesus Christ as King. Mark is a as a servant. Luke is a man. John is God. Different ways of looking at this wonderful life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here in the final moments. As his father turned his back on him and he pays for our sins and he's dying on the cross and he died. Even a centurion, which was a pagan and an enemy soldier to Israel, said, man, this has to be the son of God when he saw the earthquake and it got dark at that time. And other portions of the scripture talks about that. The veil was rent from top to bottom, a very thick curtain over the Holy of Holies, really stating that now we don't need the priesthood anymore. He is the high priest. He is the high priest, our high priest. He paid the price. All those lambs that were sacrificed was to point to the lamb. And this is what was happening at this time. That's why it's so important. Every one of these things had to take place. He had to be born in a human body. He had to live a perfect life. He had to die on the cross, pay for our sins, sprinkle his blood on the mercy seat in heaven. He emptied out paradise, took them into heaven now that their sins, their sins, we went to the paradise at first because he, the sins were going to be paid for. And then they went to heaven now that they were paid for. And now when you and I pass off this mortal uh, body of ours one day, unless the Lord comes first, we can go right into heaven because our sins have been paid for. Wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. And as we read earlier about the resurrection, he rose from the dead. That had to take place too. That had to take place. 
when we get down here to um, he appear, him appearing to different people after he rose again. Let's look in verse 12 of Mark chapter 16. It says, And after he appeared another in another form unto two of them, and as they walked and went into the country, this is Jesus, and they went and told it to the residue, that's the other disciples, neither believed they them. They, they keep not believing that he rose from the dead, didn't they? And after he appeared unto the eleven, as they sat at meat and they upbraided them with their unbelief, and the hardness of their heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Now, this next verse is very important. It's mentioned also, we're not going to go there, but Matthew 28, it's the Great Commission. He gave them a job to do. Verse 15, it says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't say, uh, for the preachers, I need you to go preach the gospel to every creature. He said all of them, and really all of us. If you look in Matthew 28, you'll see this restated. Go into all the world. That's what we're supposed to do, tell people about the gospel. The good news, that's what that means. And good news of what? The good news, the gospel, is Jesus Christ. Life, death, resurrection. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father to intercede for you and I. You know, we don't, they don't have to do like they did then. They don't have to go to the priests and they sacrifice the lamb to roll their sins ahead. They don't have to have them go into the Holy of Holies and communicate to God for them. You can go to the high priest, our high priest, Jesus Christ, and tell him and talk to him. Because Why? Because he paid for your sin. And if you take that most important step and ask him into your heart and your life, as we stated before, just in that one simple verse, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you get in Romans, you know, call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If you ask him in your heart and life and forgive you your sins, he'll come in. And you will be a new creature. You will be a child of God. And it took this, the gospel, this was what this is, in a nutshell, the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful time of year to reflect upon our Savior's uh, uh, resurrection and his life. What a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a hard thing to read about. But it's a beautiful thing to see the whole. When you, uh, I had a boss tell me one time, I said, why do we do this one thing? I didn't understand it. And it was very frustrating to me. It seemed like a long way around and a certain job that we had to do. And he says, Mike, you just don't understand the big picture. And when he explained it to me, it made sense. And I didn't get frustrated anymore. I understood why. And when you read the Bible, sometimes you think, why, why, why? And in our life, why, why, why? When you put it all together and it culminates in Jesus Christ paying for your sin, you understand why. You understand your need. I understand my need of Jesus. And you know why he did it? 
because he loves us. My grandson asked that the one day, you know, why would Jesus do that? And I said, William, because he loves us. And that's exactly why. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day you've given us, Lord, and being able to look at the, uh, the, the resurrection of you, my Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for doing that for us. And help us as we reflect on the price that was paid. And dear Father, just help us as we go through this next week to serve you even more, understanding and reflecting and seeing about what you have done for us. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. Well, I hope you have a great Resurrection Sunday, a great Easter tomorrow. And I pray that uh, you guys will all be safe. And I will see you in about the middle of the week. We'll have another one of these. Thanks a lot. You have a good Easter weekend, my friends. God bless.